other parts of this chapter. <clears throat> Paul begins in chapter 12 by saying, I beseech you therefore, brethren, I just want to stop there for a few moments, or just a moment, and say this, that when you find the word beseech in Scripture, it is stronger in emphasis than just the word ask. This is not just a casual uh, friend's asking of a, of a quick favor. But the word beseech has something about it that lends itself to uh, strong emotion. Uh, the idea, I don't want to get quite to the point of saying begging, but at least we could use the word perhaps uh, like imploring or, or, or uh, you know, just that, that emotion of, of saying, I, I, I'm, I'm asking you this and I'm asking you to consider this very, very seriously because this is not just a casual request. And so Paul begins chapter 12 with, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And this is the foundation that Paul bases his request on. Paul does not base this on his own merit. He does not base it on his friendship. There are times that uh, we come to one another and we say, hey, can I ask you a favor? And what we're saying is, hey, we're friends. I feel like I can ask a favor of you. Uh, Paul's not beseeching them on behalf of his friendship or the relationship that he has with these folks. Paul is saying, I'm asking you this based on the fact that God has given you mercy. Aren't we glad of that tonight? That God has given to you and I mercy. When I was growing up, I, I heard mercy and grace, and I thought, boy, they're kind of synonymous. And in my mind, I didn't make a big distinction between them. And as I got older, I realized that mercy and grace are two sides of the same coin, but they're exactly opposite of each other. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Some people sometimes will say, hey, how you doing? And one of the comments that Brother Casey and a lot of us use here at the church uh, have used over the years is much better than I deserve. And what we're saying is, God has shown me mercy. I'm thankful that when I die, I'm not going to my just reward. If I was going to my just reward, I would not be in heaven. I'm thankful I'm going to His just reward because He's been put on my account. And uh, so mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is the opposite of that. Grace is going beyond mercy. Grace is getting something that we do not deserve. Getting something that we do not deserve. And Paul comes to these folks and he says, I'm beseeching you, I'm asking you with strong emotion. This is something beyond a casual request. And he says, I'm doing it because God has shown you mercy. Now, it's kind of hard on the receiving end of this request to deny that request, isn't it? It's kind of difficult to say, you know what, God, I know you showed me mercy, but... I'm not going to do this. Kind of hard to do that, isn't it? If we realize what God has done for us. So he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, he's speaking here of the physical world, a living sacrifice. Somebody said a problem with the living sacrifice is it keeps crawling down off of the altar. And there's a lot of truth in that. As a Christian, how often we come and we say, Lord, you have my life. I'll give you everything I've got. I owe it to you because of the great mercy that you've shown me. And my heart of love and gratitude gives it to you freely and willingly. And then we turn around and we have something come up in our life and that old carnal nature rears its ugly head up. And the next thing we know, we've pulled our life back off of that altar. 
And we said, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to live the carnal life. I'm going to live what I want to do. And then maybe another message or the Holy Spirit working on our hearts will come and we'll lay that life on the altar again. Can I tell you this? When we present our lives a living sacrifice, it needs to be a regular thing. Something we do on a daily basis. Something perhaps we do several times a day. That we present our bodies a living sacrifice. The Bible says this in verse number 1. Holy and acceptable unto God, and uh, which is your reasonable service. Does not even say it's extraordinary. You say, Brother Greg, for me to give my life completely and wholly to the Lord, well, that's asking an awful lot. No, it's not. That's just the norm. That's just the status quo. That's what's expected out of a Christian. When you get saved, that's just kind of assumed that I'm giving my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we get to verse number 2, and be not conformed to this world. And we've preached numerous times on this passage over the years. And be not conformed to this world. And the idea of this is the, the world has a tendency to entice us and to pressure us. And they use the, usually those two tactics. They try, and first of all, to make uh, the things that they're doing look good so that we want to do the things of the world. Uh, John wrote, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the love of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life uh, are not of the Lord, but they're of this world. And so we find that the world will entice. They're going to come in through the eye gate and the ear gate. They're going to try to make things look and seem like they're a lot of fun and very appealing. If you don't believe me, just watch a few of the ads on television. They get you to buy things you don't need, and a lot of times that are not good for you, and a lot of times things that are contrary to what God would want you to do. And they watch these things, and they appeal to us. Some Christians have the strength to withstand the enticements of the world, and then they change their tactics and begin to pressure. And boy, if we don't see that happening in our world today on a daily basis, do we not? The society putting the pressure and saying, boy, you're just hateful, mean-spirited people that you won't get involved and approve of what we're doing. We don't look down at the people, but we certainly do not endorse the sin. And so we find that the world will try to conform us by enticing us and with great pressure. The Bible says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed and the word transformed here has the idea of from the inside out it's not something we put on outwardly anybody can do that we spoke a little bit about that this morning in the service about creating hollow christians people that look good on the outside and they, they talk good on the outside but inwardly they're not what they ought to be and uh, christ is saying here through inspiring uh, the apostle paul to write these words to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And I've heard preachers preach on the three wills of God. There are not three wills. There's one. One will of God. And it is, it is uh, perfect, it is good, and it is acceptable. And can I tell you this? There are times that we take a different direction. And God allows some things, but it is not His will. And we certainly ought to, of all people, be willing because of the mercies that God has shown us. We ought to be willing to say, Lord, I don't want what I want. I want what you want. Would that not be the case? 
And it's not because of just the one mercy that he showed us, but how often does God show us mercy? All the time. It says in the Bible that if it were not for God's mercies, we would be consumed every day. We fail him all the time, don't we? Because he not only gave us mercy, but he continues to give us mercy. And for that reason alone, Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't follow the measurement of the Lord's Word. Now, I brought three tape measures with me tonight, and I was just going to use these as a visual illustration that so often we as Christians try to define our spirituality by our separation from the world. And by the way, separation from the world is a good thing, amen? It's still in the Bible. Touch, uh, touch not the, come out from among them, be separate, touch not the unclean thing. And uh, be ye holy, for I am holy. And there certainly is teaching in Scripture that God's people ought to be different. We ought to be a salt that hasn't lost its savor. We ought to be a light to a dark world. We ought to be a city that is set on a hill. And that requires there to be a difference. If there is no difference in our light and the light of this world, we'll just blend in with everybody else and no difference will be made. There must be something different. And it's not enough. For us to simply measure ourselves by our distance from the Lord. We've shared this before. But so often we, uh, I know when I was a kid, there were certain things that I was taught growing up in a pastor's home. And uh, I was taught, man, I remember years ago that if a preacher wore wire-rimmed glasses in the pulpit, that was liberal. My goodness, you could not wear, you had to wear them black plastic frame glasses. And if you didn't wear wire rim, if you wore wire-rimmed glasses, you were liberal. And we stayed because the world, I mean, that was fashionable. You didn't want to follow after what the, that was trendy. I remember when the sock ties came out. Boy, that, oh, whoa, whoa, heavy hung over your head. You were going to be in the dark part of heaven when you went to heaven over that one. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, you just didn't do that kind of thing. Uh, I remember that you couldn't wear a lapel mic. You had to have one of them little black Shure microphones about 40 feet away from you on the pulpit where you talk and maybe the first people on the front rows would hear you in the service. You tried to wear something on your, on your tie, and boy, that was, that was not good. And a white shirt. Boy, if you didn't wear a white shirt, you were, you were just, uh, I, they, they questioned your salvation over that one. They'd want, they, by their fruits you shall know them, right? And uh, we were separated. And we've changed over the years, haven't we? Our separation from the world is different than it was back then. We may be the same distance from the world, but what happened? The world moved, didn't it? The world moved. Now we're bringing the world into the church and we think nothing of it. And so I want to try to bring a point out here because chapter 12 deals primarily with this, this topic of what a Christian life ought to be and how it ought to be measured up to. And we're going to look at some things here very quickly. But I, I brought a yardstick. And, you know, you can measure some things with a yardstick, and, uh, but you can only measure three feet. In fact, I was doing some work downstairs this week and cutting a piece of drywall. And the only thing I could find, I'd lost my, this is my good tape measure. I'd lost my good tape measure. They made it bright orange so you don't lose it. And I lost it. And I couldn't find it. So I found this, this, this uh, yardstick, and I had a 12-foot piece of drywall to measure and put a line down the whole length of it. And uh, couldn't find my chalk line, couldn't find my tape measure, and I'm sitting there drawing lines and drawing lines and drawing lines. And you can measure, but the measurement of this is limited, isn't it? You can only measure so much by it. 
And it's, you know, we can look at the world and we can say I'm separated from the world and I don't do this, 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 and this. But when we measure by the world, we're limited in how far we can measure. Uh, we, we, can, we can take some other measurements and, and maybe we're a super spiritual Christian and we don't get the, the yardstick. We go out and get us a 12-foot tape measure. I went out to Lowe's the other day because uh, uh, I couldn't find my good one and I needed to measure a 12-foot t- uh, sheet of drywall and I wasn't going to do the yardstick thing again, so I bought me a 12-foot tape measure. But then I had something to measure the other day. It was longer than 12 foot. I, I was limited in what I could do when I measured with this tape measure. And so, lo and behold, I was digging through the back of my truck the other day and looking through a box that I had some spare parts in. And somehow, when I'd done a job here a while back, I had taken my good tape measure and I had thrown it in that box. And praise the Lord, my good 25-foot tape measure was there. Man, I can measure anything I want to with this, except the how much carpet we need here in the auditorium. It's just not big enough for that one. And so even this one, my good, I mean, this is the spiritual tape measure here. And it's not good enough, is it? It's, it's limited in what it can do. But can I tell you that God has given us something that we can use to measure our Christian lives with that is not limited. And we find it here in chapter number 12. It's the Word of God. Paul begins this, and I've, I've preached verses 1 and 2 for many, many years. But the Bible teaches very clearly as Paul begins this chapter that we are not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, dealing with the will of God. And so we have two units of measurement we find in chapter 12 at the very beginning. We have the world and we have the will of God. We have, if you will, the carnal man and the spiritual man. And they have to measure up. By the way, there are different units of measurements we use in the Christian life, are there not? Some people measure themselves on how far they're separated from the world. Some people measure themselves by how much more spiritual they are than other Christians. You ever met somebody like that? By the way, when we are critical of someone else, usually that's what we're doing. We're trying to compare our life with theirs. I was talking, I think, Brother Harold yesterday. And you know the biggest sins that there are in the world are the sins that other people have because they're never mine. My sins are never that big. And by the way, you think the same thing, right? That's human nature. Our carnal nature thinks, boy, my sins aren't all that bad. But boy, let me tell you, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, Man, let me tell you about their sins now. What are we doing? We're using a limited source of measurement. What ought a Christian measure their life by? What is the, what is the ruler? What is the measurement? Brother Larry? Christ. Paul said, I forget those things which are behind, and I press towards those things which are before. He said, I press for the mark. And the mark is the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we go to look at our Christian life and we get all excited about how great of a Christian I am because I don't drink, smoke, chew, or want those that do. I am separate from the world, brother. I don't go to movies. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't even look at the, uh, at the bar when I walk into a restaurant. I go to my booth 
Because I'm going to tell you, you don't even want to look at it. I mean, I'm that separated. I'm careful when I go uh, down the road to make sure my radio is tuned to the right station. and my, I, I'm careful of all those things. And I'm not saying those are bad things. I'm just saying they ought not be what we measure our life by. We find as we get to chapter number 12, Paul talks about this not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. I want you to see this as we begin in verse number 3, and we're going to go quickly through as much of this chapter as we can get through tonight. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Here we are talking about how we're going to measure ourselves. Are we going to measure ourselves by what we think or by what God thinks? Are we going to have the confirmation of the world or are we going to have the will of God? And verse number 4, For we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. Comparing ourselves to the world and our separate from them is limited. We ought not do that. Comparing ourselves by each other is limited and ought not be our standard of, of measurement. For being many are, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members of another, having then gifts. What's the next word here? Having then gifts, verse number 6. Having then gifts differing. What? Brother Greg, you mean your gift is different than my gift? Yes. You mean my gift is different than your gift? Yes. So then how can we measure ourselves by ourselves? You remember the, ta- the story of the talents, how, God, how the Master gave to one ten and to one five and to one one? The two that went out and were faithful to do what, what the Master wanted them to do, the one that earned ten got ten more. The one that had five earned five more. And they were both faithful. One, obviously, had more that he had earned than the other. But do you realize that they both got the same commendation from the Master? Well done, now good and faithful servant. What does that teach us? That teaches us that we don't compare ourselves by what other people are doing. Because God has given them something that's different than what He's given me. So we find here in verse number 6, and I, and I hope we're going to learn something through chapter 12, because sometimes we preach messages that are motivating, convicting, hopefully to stir us and to change our lives. Sometimes we preach messages of reproof and correction. This is a message of instruction tonight. How to measure the Christian life. How to walk in the Christian life. What does the Word of God expect from me as a Christian? How do I measure up to it? Having then gifts differing, verse number 6, according to the grace that is given to us. Those gifts are not owed to us. God gives them to us even though we don't deserve them. By the way, can I say this? Serving God is a privilege, not a duty. It's a privilege. He's given us the grace to do it. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the portion of faith or ministry, let us wait on ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Paul says there are gifts, and he lists several of them here. And some of you have some of these, and some of you have others of these. You say, how do we determine who gets what gift? We don't. God does. And He's the one that puts us 
where He wants us. I heard a preacher say it this way one time. You need to bloom where you're planted. God puts you somewhere. And He gives you the ability to do what He wants you to do right there. Don't look at everybody else around you and say, Boy, if I could just do that. If I could just, oh, I wish I could just bloom where you're planted. Measure yourself by what God has given you to do. Now we get to verse number 9, and here's where we begin to start seeing some instruction. These are things that ought to be in our lives, all right? This is the way a Christian ought to live, and these things ought not be things we put on outwardly, but they ought to be part of this transforming of our minds. These are things that ought to come out of our, of our inner being, the fact that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and empowers us and directs us and guides us. Look what he says here in verse number 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. So uh, God, uh, the Paul is saying here, don't be fake. Make sure your love is sincere. Don't make sure, make sure that it's not uh, a respecter of persons. You don't pick and choose. You love, you love because God's given you love to love with. And uh, he talks about abhorring that which is evil. And boy, that would be a good thing for a lot of Christians to get a hold of today because we're getting to where we're starting to love that which is evil, even in our Christian circles, are we not? We're seeing it happen more and more. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. There's nothing wrong with loving those things that are good. Whatsoever things are lovely, and I can't quote the entire list for you tonight, whatsoever things are good, and some of you could probably quote the verse better than I could. But after that whole list of things, he says, think on these things. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another. Boy, we can learn a lot from that one, couldn't we? You say, Brother Greg, what, is, what are these verses here from verse 9 and on? What are these things? These are the marks on the ruler of God's Word. These are the things that we take our life and we set them alongside chapter 12. And we say, okay, do I measure up there? Do I measure up there? Do I, do I have kindly affection one to another? Is that part of my life? These are the tick marks on God's measuring stick. We find as we go on down, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Well, we talked on that in Sunday school today, didn't we, Brother Randy? The whole idea of friendship and the friend that gives gifts to get friends and people that are friends only because they get gifts. Or are you a friend whether you get a gift or not? The idea of in honor preferring one another. On the other side of that coin, if I'm going to be a friend, I want to be able to be to my friends everything they need me to be. I'm not going to hold anything back. Christ did not hold anything back for me. How can I hold anything back from them? If they're my friend, in honor, preferring one another. And by the way, uh, the, the, you know what the, the world's philosophy is? The world's philosophy is this. Get all you can, can what you get, and sit on the can and keep it all to yourself. Don't let anybody have it. Isn't that, isn't that kind of the way the world's philosophy is? I, I, it's just all about get, 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 and save. But... God's philosophy is a little bit different. He says, he that keepeth his life will what? Lose it. And he that will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Not slothful in business, 
That'd be good to teach some young people, wouldn't it? Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit. Another tick mark on God's measuring stick tonight. How fervent are we in our Christian lives? Do we piddle with Christianity? Do we piddle with our Christian lives? Is it just something that is kind of a hobby to us? (laughs) Or is this the thrust of our life? I mean, this is the thing that my life revolves around. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. Another tick mark on the ruler of God's measuring stick. Rejoicing in hope. Do we rejoice in hope tonight? This, this, is, this is what ought to characterize us. We ought to tonight take our life and lay it alongside Romans 12. And say, Lord, I don't want to measure by the world. I don't want to measure by other Christians. I want to measure by your word. What's the standard? Well, you've got to rejoice in hope, Greg. You've got to be patient in tribulation. Boy, that's a tough one, isn't it? Got to be patient in tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer. Uh, years ago, uh, when I went to college, there was a group of fellas that got into this thing that whenever we'd go out to eat, they'd all stick their thumbs up like this and wait until everybody had stuck their thumbs up except for one person. And the person that was the last one to put their thumb up had to pray for the meal. And when I got to college, I thought, that's, that's terrible. I, I, I thought, it ought not be the person with the last thumb up ought to have to pray for the meal. It ought to be the person with the first thumb up ought to get to pray for the meal. Why? Because it's something that I love. I, I'm con- continuing instant in prayer. I don't look at prayer as something that's an obligation. We ought not to look at prayer as something that's a drudgery. Well, I got, you know what? I got to go spend time with the Lord right now. Why would we do that? Prayer is a sweet time. The songwriter wrote, sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer that draws me from a world of care. It bids me at my Father's throne to make all my wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief. And oft I've escaped the tempter's snare by thy return, sweet hour of prayer. Oh, I wonder if we love being instant in prayer. It's another tick on the yardstick of God's measuring stick. Say, Brother Greg, how should my life as a Christian measure up? Are we instant in prayer? Let's move on and see what else it says here. Distributing to the necessity of the saints. When there's a brother or sister that's having a difficult time, we ought to be helping them. Amen? I was talking to Brother Randy and Ethan and his uh, new wife just got married recently and they're expecting a child. They don't have a lot. They really don't. They don't have any family or friends down where they're at. And I said, you know what? The church ought to be doing so many things that we've let the government start doing. And if the church won't help, who's going to help? You say, Brother Greg, they're not members of our church, but they're brothers and sisters in Christ. They're folks that are in need of a hand. 
I told him, I said, you know, we'll try to get some folks together and see what we can do, put something together for them. But I wonder how often we swallow the world's philosophy that it's mine, mine, mine. I look at so many times Christians that hold so tightly to things that are nothing more than just wood and hay and stubble that one of these days is going to burn. Thinking, boy, that's, that's all life is about. I'm not saying go out here and be frivolous. We certainly want to be wise stewards of what God has entrusted us. But we've got to get back to the place where we are willing to distribute to the necessity of the saints. Given to hospitality. Well, we could learn a lot on that one, couldn't we? <laughs> different areas of the country are different, aren't they? Uh, opening your house up to people. Having people over Spending time fellowshipping together. Bless them which persecute you. Boy, there's a tough one, isn't it? Brother Gregor, you mean somebody's mean to me? I've got I've to be kind to them, yeah. I can't speak evil about them? Nope. That's a tough one. I mean, God knows my heart. He knows that I can't do that. Well, He did. Didn't He? What did he say about those that persecuted him while they were nailing him to the cross? Forgive them. They know not what they do. He's our example, isn't he? It's another tick in God's measuring stick that we find in Romans chapter 12. How does my life measure up? Don't look at the world in your separation from it. Boy, I'll tell you what, Brother Greg, I'm a good Christian because I don't do this, 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 and this. How do we measure up to God's measuring stick? Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. That doesn't mean you're kind to them in front of some people and then you go and talk about them behind your back to others. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that do weep. And both of those sometimes are hard to do. When you're driving an old clunker that can't hardly make it down the road and the transmission keeps dropping on the road and you have to keep shoving it up in there to keep it going, and oil's pouring out your car, and somebody that's already driving a nice car pulls in Sunday morning and says, Look what I traded in, a brand new. <laughs> Hard to rejoice with them that are rejoicing, isn't it? But it's easy sometimes, I think, to weep with them that weep. Well, we, we ought to be concerned. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Don't be high-minded and heady. Don't be selective and, and, and uh, respecter of persons just because of a man's intellect or his popularity or his money or his lack thereof. Be the same to all men, especially them that are of low estate. Recompense to no man evil for evil. I've, I've known Christians have said, boy, he had it coming to him. I retaliated, and I, I'm glad I did, because, boy, he did it, and bless God, I got him back. And that's not what the Bible says. In fact, numerous times it deals with this, doesn't it? A man strike thee on the cheek, what are you supposed to do? Turn the other. We're dealing mostly here with persecution for our beliefs. I'm not talking about your life being threatened in your house by a robber. It's a whole different ballgame. But you understand what I'm getting at here. Those that are just mean-spirited and trying to hurt us. 
We need to make sure that we don't recompense evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place under wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. We're not there yet. Uh, but let me see if I can find it this, morning, this, this evening. Turn to Proverbs chapter 19. Hold your place here for just a minute. Look with me in verse number 11. By the way, Brother Randy, we're on verse uh, 8, right? 19, 8, okay. We're not to verse 11 yet in Sunday school, but I want you to see this. The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. What does that mean? It means be merciful. There may be some people that... that did you wrong? Be merciful. Say, Brother Greg, they don't deserve it. Neither did we. But Christ was merciful to us. Verse 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Leave it in the Lord's hands. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, what does it say? Feed him. If he thirst, what? Give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Now that ought not be our motive. Don't go out here and buy your enemy a big meal and say, I'm getting you back because that's coals of fire on your head. <laughs> You've missed the whole purpose of the verse. I'm giving you a drink and it's going to burn your head, brother. <laughs> it's not what he's saying here, is it? He's saying, let's be kind to him. Be kind to him. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. He goes on to talk about some other things as we get into verse chapter 13. We're going to stop there tonight. But can I tell you this, and the whole purpose of the lesson tonight is this one thought. We've looked at a lot of things here. Because this list in chapter number 12 is not an exhaustive list for the Christian life. It's just the tip of the iceberg. These are just small things. These are things that Paul thought of. But can I tell you this, that over and over in Scripture we find that we are not to measure ourselves by false measuring sticks that are limited in what they can do for us. We are to take our life, we're to hold it next to this book, and say, Lord, how do I measure up? Amen? And by the way, if we'll start doing that, you might be surprised at the changes that it makes in your life. And in my life. You might even be surprised that you thought you were so spiritual and such a great Christian. When you get into this book, you might be surprised at how poor of a Christian you really were. Because I'll tell you this, usually when I measure my life next to God's Word, I fall extremely short. I mean, I'm not even in the ballpark. That being said, i got a lot of work to do, amen? And so do you. All right, let's stand together with heads bowed. Father, we're thankful for your word. How it instructs and guides us. And Lord, tonight's message has been a little bit of a different type of message, something to try to instruct us. Lord, we've not certainly exhausted. This was not meant to be something that we teach line upon line, all the things that a Christian ought to have in their life. But Lord, it was to illustrate to us that when it comes to our 
looking at our own life and seeing how we are as a Christian. That we ought not gauge ourselves by our distance from the world, how much better of a Christian we are than some other Christian. But, Father, that we ought to lay it down alongside of your word and see how we measure up. The truth of the matter is, it is our schoolmaster, and it will show us very, very clearly. And, Lord, I think one of the greatest reasons Christians are reluctant to do it, and I know it's the greatest reason many times that I am reluctant to do it, is because I'm afraid of what it will show me. But yet, Lord, it is needful that we try to do all that you've instructed us to do, that our hearts will be transformed inwardly, and that these types of things that we looked at tonight in chapter 12 of Romans are not things that we just try to externally do, but things that just stem from a heart that is being yielded and led by your precious Holy Spirit. Help us to walk the way that we ought to walk as a Christian. Bless the time of invitation that we have tonight. And Lord, while it's not been for those that are lost, perhaps perhaps there would be some Christians that would come and say, I need to get my life back on track. I've been measuring it by far too many other things. And I need to begin measuring it by God's Word. I pray that you'll bless the message and use it as you would see fit. And then, Lord, if there's someone in this room that does not know that if they died right now that they would go to heaven, if they do not know that they are saved and they've put their faith in you and you alone, then, Lord, I pray that tonight would be the night that they would get saved and trust you as their Savior. Bless the invitation time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed, we're just going to have a verse or two. If God's